All right. Good morning, Coffee and Theology, Wednesday, March 9th. And we find ourselves about two weeks um, into some major current events happening in the world. We find ourselves about two, I think tomorrow will be two weeks since uh, Russia invaded uh, Ukraine. And some of those things are on our minds today um, as we do um, recognize that it is the second week of Lent as well. And we started last week um, on Ash Wednesday, uh, remembering that it is the Lenten season this time of spring or this time of a period, a period of time in this space, uh, recognizing that some people really um, acknowledge that and have a custom around it and a ritual around it. And that this church is um, definitely open and respectful of those, um, of those customs and, and rituals, but also um, have some thoughts along those lines as well. Um, today, we have an open, kind of an open forum as we do every week with uh, a question that this, this group welcomes uh, questions and topics. And so we do have a topic from one of our longtime members. Mm -hmm. Kelly Kemp has a, a topic and a scenario to set up for us. Um, and I'm looking forward to that. So we have not prepared for this topic. Uh, we're just going to extemporaneously um, respond and, and be in the dialogue. And so we do welcome folks that are on the call to interject and to ask questions um, all throughout the, the conversation, the dialogue. And then of course, Bob and I will, will ramble together about what we consider the topic and, and our different perspectives on this topic. So yeah, Kelly, go ahead. Yeah, so yeah, I had a situation happen at work yesterday and you know major world events have happened in the last two weeks um last week the state of iowa became the 36th state in the united states to pass anti um, transgender laws in the past month and so i'm kind of coming from that place um so yesterday you know i work at our children's hospital um, some of our behavioral health patients come to my floor. So children with suicide ideation or homicide ideation or self-harm. We had a 14-year-old child come in who was newly out to his family, had suicide ideation. The mom um, was trying to uh, check him out on Monday um, and was saying that she was going to send him to a Christian camp in Disney, Oklahoma, that Christian camp is a known conversion therapy camp um, amongst LGBTQ advocates. This is a known conversion therapy camp. And so the psychiatrist had recommended that this particular patient needs inpatient treatment and that the mom could not check him out to take him to this place. So the battle over whether this child was going to be leaving against medical advice the psychiatrists told this mom that if she checked her son out um, against medical advice, that DHS would be called. And she was like, I don't care about DHS. Yesterday morning, she showed up at the hospital with an attorney. I told Amber some of this story yesterday. She also showed up with the pastor of her church. This is the second time I've seen this happen. Um, and she signed her rights to him over to the pastor so that DHS couldn't go after her. And the pastor, this poor, this child was like crying as he was leaving. He's 14. And the pastor's like kind of shoving him by the elbow. And all of us who were working, we can't say anything. You j we, had to, we had to sit there and watch it happen. And in my head, in my heart, in an instant, that thought of, if I lived in the state of Texas and Hunter were two years younger, CPS would be at my door to take him and accuse me and arrest me for child abuse, but that's okay. And the mom the whole time is like, God is in control, honey. God is in control, honey. And so that's where it got that kind of thought in my head. I had to go in my office and take a break. So how do we sit that? That's what brings me to my question none of that felt like anything was in control, like justice was right, like anything that was happening. And, you know, the suicide rate amongst this population of children 
from Christian unaffirming homes is 68%. And so how, how is that not child abuse, but me providing gender affirming care to save my children's life because that's what's right and that's what God intends is considered child abuse by the people who are in power. So how do we sit with that concept that God is in control, God is all seeing, God is all knowing, God is all powerful, when we see these things that are just so wrong? Because it sure didn't feel like God was in control in that moment. You're welcome. Good morning. Mm, yeah, yeah. Wow. Wow. Thank you for bringing that real. I should have had a trigger warning. Sorry, everybody. Real world uh, moment. Yeah, I, I, I definitely thought you were going in the direction of the invasion, but I'm glad that you brought it right down to what happened in the hospital yesterday. Let's talk about our back doorstep. Yeah, right in, in Tulsa. Tulsa, Oklahoma, right here at a hospital um, in town. Um, and the question is, how, it, it, I think the information that you're moving through this with it is, I, I can imagine this mother, this mother, like, saying those words, God is in control. And you watching this pastor shove this boy, the child, forward and, and move the child through. Um, and we don't know what happened. We don't know what happened after that. And the signing her rights over, I, I don't... I, this I'm still just trying to understand the the scenario and how that even works, um, and all with the idea that God is in control. How damaging that uh, sounds at, at at first, and you know I think many of us in many religions um, here, Western Westernized Christianity, um, certainly have those cliches. We have those cliches a lot that um, we hear the we hear people saying those kinds of words in the most devastating of situations in an effort. If I had to be empathetic, if I'm empathetic about why people say those types of things. It's in an effort to comfort in a, in a very tragic space, but it's anything but comforting. It, it is not comforting when tragedy strikes and when things are beyond our control to hear that God is in control. Um, and you were you also said that God is all powerful and God is all knowing. And what, can, can you say more about that? What what you were thinking about why why those three things are lumped together? It, was that something that you heard in your churches? Yeah, just in my experience and in both of my faith upbringing. So in my Catholic upbringing and in my Protestant young adulthood, um, those were all lumped together. God is all knowing, God is all seeing, God is all powerful, and God is in control. Those were always lumped together for me. Mm. And it almost made me feel like I had to just suck it up and take it because God is in control. Yeah. Yeah. I stopped saying those, I, I stopped saying those cliches so long ago. It has not been a part of my um, pastoral care language at all for so many years that I'm I'm having to on my feet kind of dial back and remember why why anybody would have ever said something like that. Um, and I I would love for Bob to Bob and I to kind of talk through this. Um, 
I'm immediately going to the word sovereign and what the word sovereign means. And I was, I'm guessing that that's where Bob wants to jump in on um, ownership versus authority um, is likely where Bob is going to ramp on in, but Bob, go ahead and unmute yourself and, and let's ramble a little bit about, I would love to just let people see where you and I would kind of approach this um, in a, in a summary like in a, in a little nutshell, um, we, have an, we have an understanding that, that could justify that God is not in control. That God is not in control of this world system. Um, that's where we're coming God is not that to, to think that God is in control just completely dismisses the power of will. Um, it completely dismisses um, free will and, and the authority that God gave to humanity um, as we see depicted in those early stories of the, of the Hebrew texts. Um, it's just, it's fascinating to me why people would go there. I, it's such a knee-jerk response that um, uh, that is so unhelpful and, and hurtful and, un, and just ill-informed. It is just, it is not something that this ministry believes, but you will, you will hear people in our church say that. <laughs> you, will, you will hear people in our church say God is in control. And I, there will always be a challenge for me. Now, why do you believe that? Why do you think that God is in control? How, how do you believe that God is controlling your actions? Hey, just on a personal level. Well, why would you believe that God is control? You have complete ownership over what you do. You are an autonomous individual. You have the ability to make decisions that are against what God would want. And we see that played out in our individual lives every day. If God were, <laughs> used to have a minister say, if God were in control, he'd make you pay your tithe. <laughs> I don't know why he ever said that, but it was silly and stupid, but it kind of made the point. It's like, if God is in control of things, God would be making you do all the things that, I don't know, that we would perceive that God would want us to do. And to say that on a macro level, um, internationally, that God is in control is just as silly. Um, but go go ahead, Bob, where, where, where do you immediately think, What where does your mind go when you hear that? Well, um, so this is questions that have been going on for thousands of years. These are big philosophical questions. Um, I mean, Plato, uh, all these guys have been talking about it for thousands of years, right? right. Um, the nature of the universe and, um, how things work and so when it comes to the, the things that kelly brought up at the beginning which like the theological terms would be like you know the omniscience the all-knowingness of god and um the all-powerfulness of god and things like that there uh, you know for any doctrine it's kind of a basic understanding that um, you have you you base our truth. We as Christians, we as you know the uh, Judeo Christians, base our beliefs to begin with. We start with a um, basis, a foundation of the Bible, and. Um, and then that's kind of how we get our beginning grounded base. And so with that being the case, there's also even within scripture and within um, biblical uh, historical literature and teaching that they are to be based on because of a, a, a understanding in the Old Testament that said, that there's not to be anything considered 
a truth or a fact that is outside of there being two or three witnesses, right? Even like Jesus, when they were trying to condemn him, it said that they couldn't find any two witnesses that bore the same thing. It was literally like there was somebody would say, Jesus, I saw Jesus do this. And then they'd say, we've got another witness who can verify that. He'd bring him in. And it was as if there was a literal confusion going on in the minds of that next person who, who couldn't re say it the same way. So they couldn't get any collaboration, literally couldn't get two people to say the same thing. So they could find no fault with him from a legal standpoint. Well, that's also true um, scripture-wise, uh, doctrinally-wise, that um, historically doctrines have never been established unless you've got two or more, at least two, and three is even better. Again, from there's other proverbs that says a two-quart strand is not easily broken, a three-quart is, you know, basically impenetrable. Those are, metaphorically speaking, principally speaking, covering and saying the more scriptural basis you have for anything, the more sound and more footing you have, which would make sense for, to, to establish and say you've got an established doctrine, right? Um, mathematically, they do the same thing. All the sciences, the more facts that you have that are corroborating this theory that you're propo proposing, the more sound it is assumed to be until eventually you, if you have hundreds of proofs then it's considered to be pretty much completely established, okay? So, when it comes to these things, omniscience, there are dozens of scriptures that talk about the omniscience of God, is knowing all things, Old Testament, New Testament, Middle Testament, I mean, everywhere, they're just everywhere. The all-powerfulness of God, again, it's pretty well established that he has more power, most of it is talking in terms of there being gods, which the scriptures are pretty um, rife with also, beings that are non-human entities or seemingly non-human entities that have more power than humans, but that are not in any way in, in the same type of power, limitless power that God has, the one true God. Um, however, by way of analogy, we have a simple, and going back to in tying this even into the current crisis going on in the world, and sovereignty, we can take all these same principles, philosophical principles, ontological principles, um, political principles, um, and say, the United States of America is a sovereign nation, right? And, and the word sovereign means an entity that has its only allegiance and alliance and uh, um, authority. There's, you know, in, in a structure of authority, like, again, let's look at a simple thing like a business. You have somebody who's the janitor. He has, he's not sovereign in the company, Right. The janitor of McDonald's isn't the sovereign. He doesn't have all authority. He's only given the authority from this layered authority above him. And so his allegiance is to the, the, the assistant manager, whose allegiance is to the manager, who's to the, the store owner, who is to McDonald's corporate, who's given them authority to use the corporate name McDonald's. So it's this layers. But when you get all the way to the top, the CEO of McDonald's is nearly, he's not perfectly, but he's nearly sovereign. He's sovereign over that company. However, it's a corporation, which means it still has an allegiance and an alliance to whatever state and, and um, nation that that corporation was established under, right? Maybe it was in Maine or I don't know where it is. But so there's all these layers, but a, but a nation a sovereign nation is said to be one who their only allegiance is to God. They were established. They have their, they don't have anybody over them, but the United States, for instance, for a time before we became independent, our, we were not a sovereign nation. We were a colony of England. 
they were the sovereign, we were a colony. But when we um, established via war, um, which is how usually those things are done, so you have then a sovereign nation who now has no allegiance. And that doesn't mean that they're not treated like the UN and things like that, that other nations, but those are, those are co-sovereigns who are treating each other. So God is said to be the ultimate sovereign. The gods themselves that God created, the Elohim, which are spoken up throughout scripture, they, have an, they are not sovereigns. They have their allegiance to the Lord God. He's, he is the only one who's at the top with no one over him. And so in that sense, he, is, he has all authority over all of his creation. He, has, he is omniscient according to the scripture and that there is nothing that he does not know. Again, in multiple ways, it talks about that. He knows about the past, present, future. He knows about all potential futures and everything else. It's, it's kind of clarified in that. He has limitless power, at least enough to create the universe that we know of, which is now, they're saying, is potentially limitless. And yet, all of that said, going back to today, we're, the United States is a sovereign nation, okay? We also have been established for the last, oh, I don't know, 50, 60 years since World War II, at least, probably, one of the greatest superpowers on the planet as far as our military strength. There's, we have no equal. So in, by analogy, you could nearly say, in, in, again, only by analogy, only by metaphor, only by taking something that you can see and that we have some knowledge of, trying to use it as a comparative of the kingdom of God and God himself, we have, we have more power than anyone else we have, we are sovereign. We have no one in authority over us. Yet, that does not give us the right to go and wield that over another sovereign. So that's where the analogy somewhat falls apart because God does have authority over all the gods. He created them all. However, having knowledge, having superior knowledge, having superior strength, having superior authority doesn't mean that it is being wielded and that there is a right to wield any of those things, especially when the one who has them, God, declared clearly the cosmos, at least the Eretz, the earth, the planet we stand on, he gave all authority of that, which means the right to wield power to humans. When God did that, who is not a liar, doesn't give gifts and then retract them. Again, there's multiple, multiple scriptures that show that either by specifically stating it or by stories showing how he doesn't do that, that God does not wield and take back power that he's given to someone else. Well, I love that you say that, Bob, and, and that is kind of the assumption that we're, that we're operating off of, at least in this group. We're operating off of the fact that, or the assumption that we, we believe, um, the perspective we have is that God has given the, the sovereign authority to the human. So sovereign to sovereign, right? So because because we but we hear religiously that people say, well, God is sovereign, as if to say we are not. And and it is to say that God is all powerful, and then that's to say that we are not, that we are completely other and completely separate from. And I I love the direction that you're going because <clears throat> um as that said so el elegantly earlier is that these have been these are conversations that people have been discussing for thousands of years of where where does where does my authority start and stop where does my power start and stop where does my knowledge start and stop because we would all be able to say i do not have all knowledge i do not have all power um, but do i have all control 
or, you know, is it ultimately up to my control? And, and, but, and yeah, go, go ahead, Kelly. I know you're thinking of something. No, I was just going to add just an also, where does my responsibility start and stop? Because so many of us are taught we have a responsibility. Like yeah. yesterday, where does my responsibility as a human being to call that out as not right? What happened? Start, but yet I would lose my job for that. Start and stop. Does that make sense? Sure, sure. And it c comes that right down to who is my neighbor? <laughs> who is my neighbor? Who am I responsible to? And who am I responsible for? And you know, where where does my jurisdiction start and stop? So I, I just I, I love, though, that if we're operating off the assumption that we have been given authority in this realm, how would that inform our actions and our prayers? If we believed that, how, how does that inform our actions and our prayers? And are we trying to strong arm this ultimate sovereign to help us? You know, how, how does that inform our prayer? Like that just brings up a whole other branch of a topic of how, how would we pray then if we have some kind of authority here? How does that inform our our prayers, our actions, our responsibility to and, and for? You guys hear, hear what I'm saying? Like if, if because when you hear that, I, I'm just still hearing the echo of that mother saying God is in control. It, but wait a minute, she has authority over her own child. It, she has authority, but she gave it up. I mean, this is like this, like the thing we're trying to dissect is actually the picture of the whole. <laughs> this tiny picture is, is, in, is a small picture of the really big thing that we're talking about. This is a parent who has given her authority over her, her minor child to over to some other entity and then saying well god is in control well god did not have her sign that paperwork over to that over to that minister go ahead Heidi. i was gonna say i my first thought when kelly was telling the story is that what was done was done in fear by the mother and for her to give over that authority it's to me, it feels like it's because she doesn't know that she has any authority, number one, because she's been being told probably all of her life that she doesn't. And so this is like, this is a big example for me of what we're, who we're sitting under, so to speak, what we're hearing and what we're being taught, whether it's truth or not truth. And these are the kinds of things that happen when we don't know who we are and we don't know, um, and we're not operating in love and we're not operating in an understanding of the love of God for us. It flows over to others and our children included. Um, I've just, yeah, I'm not going to say any more about it, but it was like, it feels like it was a reaction out of see, number one, because she doesn't know who she is. Number two, because she's probably this mother is scared to death. She doesn't, first of all, she doesn't understand who her child is and how to love them. And she doesn't understand what to do about it. So she's turning to the one person that she thinks can help her and she's giving it all over to them. Go ahead. You do it. I don't know what to do. So you take it. So, um, this is very nuanced. There's lots of things here. Um, I don't want to open any can of worms that might then bring in some fear um, because we wouldn't have time to come to a conclusion on it today. But when it comes to, again, having power, having con and control are very different things, right? You can have an engine, you can have a Ferrari with a 1200 horsepower motor, but if there's no transmission, you can't get it, you can't do anything. It just sits there with potential power, but no actual power. So the transmission's for to transmit the power from the motor to the wheels so that the vehicle can be propelled, that power can be wielded to do 
action in the vehicle. Well, God can be all powerful, but if he has no authority, it, then there's no transmission. Humans are the potential transmission of the power of God. That's great. That's that. our purpose. So what, it, again, to now to just, I'm going to have to go from one end of what the Bible said to what has been revealed. And I could spend months on this going through all the transitions, the nuanced transi transitions from Adam and Eve in the garden to our current st situation today via what Jesus did on the cross. But Adam had authority on the Eretz, the earth. He did not have authority in the kingdom of God, the realm of the invisible. God maintained that. God withheld that for a reason. Um, but when Jesus comes as the second Adam, as to be the mature son, which was always dis determined that at, at when Jesus came, that was always in the history of time, when it was going to occur, regardless of what Adam did and however he messed it up, it was always determined that's when Jesus was going to come, which was to be the beginning of the, the flowering of humanity. If, hum, if, if Adam and Eve were seed, Jesus is the fruition of the plant, what it was to be. We were never seeing a mature fruit-bearing plant before. We were only seeing seeds walking around, in, ill capable of ever producing fruit. And nor did God ever expect it. That's the crazy thing. What we call sin is people being seeds, which God never, that's why he was never holding it against them. Because he wasn't expecting it. Why would he expect seeds fruit when he knows full well what he created was a seed and he puts it on the earth. And then he's like, now he's expecting it to do something that it's, it's not in its timing to do. He's not an idiot. We put that on him. We made the assumption that that is what, what happened in the garden, that he was so upset with men not producing fruit, being loving like him, that he just couldn't take it and hated them for it. And ever since, just wanted to pummel them, but just kept keeping in the back of his mind, wait a minute, I've got Jesus and I'm going to be able to put that in my anger towards him when he comes that is not what happened. But hmm. when you have the authority that was given to man, limited, but when Jesus comes, he is the full mature man. And then according to multiple scriptures, it says, and he, by contrast to Adam, who was given authority over the Eretz, he was given all authority over the earth and the kingdom of God. Okay, the invisible realm. So everything that's visible and everything that's invisible. However, the fact that he's given all that authority, so then we're like, okay, well, then now we're stuck with the situation again. And again, this has to do with, and again, I do not have time to go into it, but what about evil? Again, there's been, that's, that's really the big issue. How is there evil? If God is in control, if God is all powerful, if he's all omniscient, if he has all this authority and, and there's evil, then how do you explain evil? How do you explain people doing unkind things to other people? Why isn't God just zapping them all? Why isn't God changing things? And again, so it works up to the point of Jesus. Well, because God was not counting their sins. He gave man authority. So men were doing evil, Adam and all of his ilk. But now we've got Jesus. And now all it's about all been returned. Well, then now, aren't we now in a situation where now God is culpable for all evil? Because why isn't Jesus, as the one who has authority over visible and invisible, taking that authority and that he has and wielding it? Well, this is where, again, in the scripture, set up in the Old Testament through all these stories of the anions, the ages, the, 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 the different feasts, if you don't understand all that, which the modern church doesn't, by and large, 
Rohr tries to bring some of it in. There's a few theologians who try and say, guys, you got to understand, it's, there's a foundation that was a setup. You can't just jump in as a Gentile and go, now I'm going to make it mean whatever I want to mean. You end up with pagan theology thrown in and the whole thing gets messed up, which is why I'm so against so many different things that are in so many churches, because that's what they did. And then you miss the whole point of what God's trying to do. And then you don't, you can't make any sense of it. But the story that is most pertinent to this is the story of Esther. Because in the story of Esther, you have the entire, all the anions, all the ages, all the transition from the beginning to the end in one big, beautiful story. And again, just jumping, I'm just having to like grossly jump through and just say this so that we can redeem and restore this potential thing that I just did of saying, well, you're right. If Jesus has all authority, then why are people still doing horrible things? Why isn't he just coming in and grabbing a hold and fixing it all, all the nations and everything else. Here's why. Because in the story of Esther, we see that though the king has all authority, he is beautiful, he is righteous, he married a bride. Mm -hmm. And he told the bride, I know that there's all this crap out there, these laws, these things, that these, these precepts, these doctrines, these worldviews that are arrayed against you for your harm. And I know that I could just step in because I am all powerful. I am omniscient. I do have all of this and just wipe the slate clean and make it all right. But sweetheart, you need to understand you don't know how beautiful and powerful you are. I do. And I've given you a robe, a kingly robe, a, a, a robe of authority. I've given you a scepter, which is the, the way that this, it's a, it's a symbol of how does this throne rule? And it's by righteousness, but not a righteousness that men think of righteousness, a righteousness that is a gift given. The king gives her her righteousness, her right standing with him. And she always holds that in her hand, knowing that the king has got her back and that he's always um, behind her, encouraging her. You can do this. I know that you can do this. And it, it flows with love and mercy from the throne of God, which is the fire. That's what fire represents it throughout the scripture, which is why when they say that, you know, Everybody's thrown into the lake of fire. Everybody's terrified. It's like, no, you don't understand. That's the, literally the picture of the love of God, the all-consuming love of God that, that causes all of your fears to melt away and leaves you only with the right, the right correct view of the, of the song. I love that. I, I love that. If, if anybody could take away anything, and yeah, Kelly, I'm coming, I'm, I'm coming to you. Um, if, if anybody could take anything away in their conversations with other people that want to say they're going to be thrown into the lake of fire, if we could just all automatically think love of God <laughs> every time we hear that and help other people when we're in conversations with other people who are, who are terrified of that kind of a, of a thing, that's just a beautiful picture that that is the love of God. Go ahead, Kelly. I know that you have had your hand up for a while. Yeah, I was going to say, and I'm going to take it back a little bit, but combined with everything that Bob just said, um, you know, the, like for me, like that whole concept of, you know, our sin is not the things that we do. Sin is not knowing that we are truly the beloved of God and, and not operating out of that has just changed everything. Um, and so like Heidi saying earlier, like we're talking about this mother giving up her rights and how that's coming out of a place of fear. Um, I remember, you know, Lance and I also did that same thing, not over to our pastor, but to our brother-in-law when, when Hunter was still Victoria so that she could go. And I'm saying she because she went by she at that time. Um, so that she could go live in Alaska and my <coughs> brother-in-law could make medical decisions over her. But signing those rights to our child, our child over felt like my heart was being cut out of my body. And I can remember 
hearing the God is in control at that time. And it really felt like that whole concept of laying your child at the foot of the cross, laying them down and not picking them back up and mm. letting God take control. Hunter needed that. Victoria needed that so that Victoria could become Hunter. But it was still painful. But it didn't come out of a place of fear like, like this mother was doing. Like the, I can see the difference between those two. And, and Heidi, you're right. That's what, if we're operating out of that fear, that's when we're making these decisions that harm other people. It's just exactly what Bob was saying. Um, that, yeah, not operating out of fear is, is, that's the answer to all of it, I think. Well, I think it is a key. I think it is definitely a key. And I, you know, I'm really loving this idea of the Esther story and having the scepter and the robe and, you know, the authority that we do have. It also feels a little lonely. I'm just going to say it like kind of simple. It feels a little lonely to have all this power and authority given to us. And then I think I know that within ourselves, we feel very weak at times and very um, overwhelmed and flooded by the enormity of the pain and evil in the world. Um, and so it immediately occurred to me that while we do have this authority and this transmission ability, I love that. I love that transmission ability of transmitting the power of God. I mean, that's really the, the action and activity of prayer. That's what all of our good generals of, of faith have always taught us and fathers and mothers in the faith have said, you know, unless somebody prays, unless somebody invokes and invites the, the power of God to flow into a situation and to be have you have our voices and our hearts, our energies used in alignment with the love of God to to infuse and diffuse the love of God and the transmission of God into the situation. That's why we pray. But we we've we've missed the intention in prayer by thinking that we're pulling something from an unwilling, unyielding God. And we're not doing that. That, that. That's really not the way it ever was intended to be because we were made to be in relationship with. We're made to be in relationship with the sovereign, with the power of God. And so we're not just singly over here. Like it's not all, all up to us and it's not all up to God. But I would submit that that to, to kind of wrap up this is it's a relationship with it's a cooperation with and together that we can um, use our wonderful brains and brilliant minds to assess a scenario and uh, and see it. If we're there seeing it, I've often encouraged people, if you're there on the ground seeing the atrocity of whatever the case is, it is really your um Re, uh, responsibility <laughs> that the going back to the responsibility word it's your responsibility to usher and let the power of love flow through your voice and heart into the scenario even if your jurisdiction and authority as a medical professional ends your voice can your voice of love and and prayer for those people ignorant as they may be can carry on where you can't go which is why we're all in the, in a in a position of praying again with a new understanding of what prayer is <laughs> in alignment with love allowing that to diffuse from our mouth it, speaking as though we have some kind of transmission authority and power not not hoping god does something but knowing god will that's the hope that's christian hope is knowing god will knowing god, that god is a relationship with and i just love that idea because that gives me a tremendous that doesn't make me feel lonely I don't feel lonely thinking that I am in relationship with when I see the atrocities of humanity um, unfold before me with regard to everything from all the abuses, all of the misuses, all of the evils. We can't, the, the, our, our most uh, powerful position to and with that is to pray. Is, is to pray and send the power and the love of God and then to take appropriate action where we have um, authority and control. I know that seems like a nutshell of thousands of years of a conversation, but and right. we talk about this forever. Two, um, two things really quickly to um, shore up what you're saying. It can feel that we're in a lonely position, but again, because I had to just sort of jump to the end of the story, and I know you already know this, Bonnie, because you and I have talked about it, but for, for others who are kind of listening to this and listening in, 
the story of Esther begins towards the beginning of it. A lot of it is centered around the preparation of Esther before she even meets the king. And that is that it's, it's again, these scriptures, like it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of his heart. Well, again, in the Hebrew, I've translated that verse and, and I don't have it memorized, but the word delight is the pic is all pictured in the story of Esther. The word is literally to luxuriate yourself, but it's a specific word of luxuriate. It means the kind of preparation that a bride would make before her wedding day. And in this case, it for the king of the universe is who the picture this is. In the story, it's actually an entire year. There is a, a year of preparation, her luxuriating herself, and the one who was chosen as the bride of the king does things different than all the rests of the potential brides. And you see that. And what she did was she went to the king's right-hand man who was in charge of all of this harem, who he was going to choose his bride from. She's the only one in the story that went to him and said, I have a question for you. What does the king like? And his name in Hebrew, in the story, this is why I love the scripture. This servant who was given charge over all of these women to prepare them to meet the king, and they're all given these baths, they're given milk baths, they're given oils and to soften their skin and to make them beautiful and make their hair luxurious and soften it and all these things. All that was given the same, but this one woman, Esther, she asks this guy who's in charge, I, what is the king like? And every day keeps asking him and drawing upon him. Only one. His name in Hebrew means to meditate. It's the same word as when we are to take the scripture and chew it and keep chewing it and chewing it and chewing it. And what do we find in the New Testament? When are we, how do we chew it? Jesus said, it's all there to point to me. So when we chew on the word of God, the, the scripture, it's actually not ready. It's not ready made. It's like getting long cooking oatmeal. You don't just put hot water on it and it's instant. There's a whole process. You got to soak it overnight. You got to do all these things in order to make it edible, useful, yeah. life-giving. The scripture is not ready made. You can't pick it up and read it and go, here it is. Because the, the letter of the law its surface will kill you. It only until you dig in and find Jesus, the, the true revelation of what God's really like through meditation, chewing and chewing and chewing. Then you begin to find the true character of God revealed only in that intimate relationship. And then you find out and you that luxuriating yourself, preparing yourself, his desires become your desires. He will give you the desires of your heart, but it's because the two of you become one as the scriptures. And, and that's the, that's the relationship. And when we hear speakers and preachers say that they, they hang all of this authority on the Bible itself of this, and they, they don't even really specify what that means, but these things kill and, and you're exactly right. And they, they have killed spirits and killed um, natural, unique, um, authentic people from really flourishing and being free in this world by 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 placing harsh demands upon them based on what, what is a surface level understanding of what these texts mean and to go all the way back to is god in control or, or how would you comfort that mother when she would say that god is in control you know you have to use discernment and your distinct distinguishing and your your own wisdom and kelly you're so already so good at this and have been in this field of uh, your career for so long and you know, you are uh, minimize your 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 ability and your your influence is limited because of your professional career, because of who you are professionally. But thank thanks be unto God that our prayers and our words of faith and our words of love can go into doors that have been shut before us and can go and that God can really make all things work together 
for our good. And we do send our words of love and faith over that precious teenager and the teenagers of the world and the world scenarios that we find ourselves um, facing and, and, and uh, listening to. We, where we cannot go, God's grace and mercy can flow. And we are praying people. A praying people and a, and a speaking people, and we're going to wrap up. So go go ahead. Any last thoughts? Yeah, that was actually where I was going to finish. Was both in that scenario and also worldview. So macro and micro. Jesus said that we, the church, his his bride, he's given his authority to. So though it looks like the kings, the presidents of nations, are the ones in control, they are not the ones in control. The bride of Christ is the kingdom of God on the earth. And we literally, our words, we send them and we can speak life. And the heart of the king, you see, is in the hand of the Lord. He turns it like a water spot where he wills. How does he do that? Through his bride when she releases his will on the earth. So we literally can speak to these nations and, and the beings that are over them and say, I'm sorry, but we have authority over you. And so I don't have time to go into it. We don't have time to pray about it right now, but yep. we the, have the, the authority and we and can literally be, change these things if we just do it, releasing. To be clear, it's, it's, a, it's an authority like Jesus had when he took off, when he disrobed and, and washed the feet, right? The, 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 kingdom, the kingdom is this crazy reversal of authority. It's not power over, it's relationship with. And, and this is not, um, I just got chills saying that because for so long, people have been doing atrocious things in the name of the power of God. And that's never been the way that it was designed to be. It was designed to be a, a loving, serving, um, helpful, helping, freeing thing. So um, I hope that the, these are difficult topics, but that's what we get into coffee and theology for. These are not church services. These are not for the faint... <laughs> of harder for the, the, you know, we like to ask hard questions and talk about difficult things on coffee and theology. So um, I hope that these words continue to grow in your heart as you um, move forward in the world and find your place in speaking out the grace and the love of God over scenarios that you have no control over, but where the love can go, where, where, where men cannot go. God bless you.